Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old loan officer from California. I started this podcast back in April 2020. Got furloughed from my job for about three months. And during those three months, I was very honest with myself. I was like, we can either start emotionally eating. We can start suppressing these feelings of not feeling worthy because you've lost this thing that you attach so much of your identity to. Or we could start that podcast that you've always been wanting to start. So I decided to go with that second option and I'm so glad I did. I've interviewed over 130 people since then. It's been incredible. I've got to interview music artists and seven-figure entrepreneurs and just all these incredible people with different stories and different ways of how they got to where they are and just hearing about their journey, hearing about their shit show moments because we all have shit show moments and just learning how to navigate them better and learning how to learn from them and take them and create something magical out of them. And I'm so glad that I get to interview all these incredible people and I am such a big believer that you can radically change your life in a year. You can just radically change your circumstances, where you're at. And I remember being 19 and just trying to get a job and applying to like, I was applying to Ross and like a smoothie bar and like all these places wouldn't take me. And I was like so offended. I was like, why is no one taking me? And then I finally passed my NMLS test and then I got a job with a major mortgage company. And I was like, oh, that's why they didn't take me because I was meant to go down and get this job instead of that job. And I went from being 19 with zero dollars in my bank account and just being so stressed about money and so stressed about like is it gonna come into my life do I what am I gonna do about this to being 20 year old with over 60 grand in savings and I think one of the big changes that I made between those two was even when I had zero in the savings account I still believed that I was abundant I still believed that money was gonna flow into my life I still believed in something that I couldn't see at the time because I knew it was just a matter of time before it was gonna come so I'm such a huge believer and you can radically change your scenario you can step into that next version of you and that next version of you that higher self version of you she's not that far away as you think i think she's just there's just garbage in the way and it's just undercovering that garbage that's in the way of you getting to her and just stepping into that and the next version of you with the next level of results it's something i'm super passionate about and i hope from this podcast that you get to hear these stories and relate with these people and just relate with like not necessarily like just reconnecting to that path of what you want to do and reconnecting to that higher version of you and what you wanted to be when you were younger and what lights you up and what brings you joy so i'm so excited for you guys to hear these episodes would love to connect with you on instagram my instagram's the shit show my 20s dm me and love to have a conversation and feel free to share this with someone you know will love it and you can also leave a review on itunes i would love that Today's guest is Rihanna. I loved chatting with her. She is such a wealth of knowledge. She's a number one bestselling author. And she also hosts a podcast called Lessons in Love and Life. She's been a mental health counselor for over 21 years. She's from Palm Beach, Florida. And we go into so much in this episode. We go into why we're able to have that business and everything, but yet we still struggle in our relationships and in our love life. We go into what are the different types of trauma? What are red flags that we should be watching out for? What are some good date ideas? How she works with her clients on identifying these traumas early in a relationship as well. We go into blocks around actually having that love that we really desire and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Rihanna, for joining me today. 
I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. So feel free to include any shit show moments we might resonate with. Let's start there. Wow, my 20s. Now we're thinking back several years. (laughs) I'm a baby boomer, everyone. Well, something happened to me when I was 16 that really influenced my 20s. My very best friend, a childhood friend, a boy named Michael Marcucci was killed and struck by a drunk driver. And it was a sudden loss for me and very devastating loss. And it made me question life and how much time do I have and what are my goals and dreams? So I became a very serious 17-year-old. I started seeking answers from the master's. Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, the Dalai Lama. I got into the Course of Miracles, was reading and listening to cassette tapes of Marianne Williamson and Wayne Dyer. So I was really entering into spirituality very young. I didn't really talk about that to anybody. It was something private that I did to seek my own answers. I really didn't enjoy the experience of church. I grew up Episcopalian, but spirituality I totally related to. And it was something I could do in private. And then in my 20s, I went to Penn State. I was uh, in broadcast communications and uh, loved it, loved my topic uh, because I was working for a radio station since age 16 as a promotional model, working with a lot of celebrities. So that was really cool for me. Like one of my top memories was dancing the entire encore with Freddie Mercury of Queen at the night of the opera concert. And another one was having the tramps partying in my basement. They were one of the top disco bands back in the day. And yes, I was a total disco queen. So I love Penn State. That was cool. But my second tragedy in life, my best friend at Penn State, my roommate for three years, I was one year ahead of her. I graduated and she was dating a guy that was very toxic. And I kept warning her and trying to get her to get away from him. She seemed very much love addicted. And I finally had her leave him. And then I moved on after school and uh, lo and behold, she got back with him and I visited her right after my first child was born. And I said, what is the matter with you? You know, you're different. You put on about a hundred pounds since I left, you have a broken leg. And I knew she was back with this guy. And I I said, walk me out to the car. I got to go. We were in the, the store where he owned and She's there. I'm being horribly abused. I said, did he break your leg? She goes, well, I found it fell down the steps. So I said, come be with me. Come live with me up in Erie, PA, where I was at the time. And she goes, well, I'm going to be leaving. And then the next thing I know, she's killed. So that was the second. And so in giving back to Michael and Corinne's spirit, I knew I had to do something to change the way the world loves and how we look at life and our success in life. So I started again studying and developed this mindset for success. And at 26, I opened up a model and talent agency in school because I modeled since the age of 12. And that was a business I could run. I got married at 21 and had two girls, my daughters, and they were three and four when I opened up the agency. And I taught my models, actors, singers, dancers, the mindset for success. So these People from the small town of Erie, PA, were now working with top agencies around the world as models. One was a dancer. Her dream was to be a rockette, and she made that. I had people in law and order and all kinds of TV shows. And my own daughter wanted to be a singer, and she sings on three multi-platinum CDs, and she wanted to be an entertainment host. So she was on E! Entertainment News and on HGTV with a couple of shows. So I was able to help people create the life they desire and have that love that they deserved. So that was my mission. 
And later in years, well, you only asked me about my 20s. So my 20s were uh, quite exciting. The downfall in my 20s was I married a man that was not a very good person. Interesting to this day, he's still not that great of a person. And he frauded my family out of a lot of money, $200,000. So back then, that's probably like a half a million. And it was very upsetting to me. I was pregnant with my first daughter. And I said, if this goes bad, it's going to ruin our marriage, ruin my family relationships. And it went bad. And my mother said, well, you're going to have to pay it back, me. And I didn't get anything for it. So that started a very difficult path. But I knew there was no time for self-pity. I had to work to support my girls. Six months after the divorce, he goes after me for child support because he claimed he earned no money at his father's restaurant. So it's a hard life. But I had a lot of fun throughout it. I figured my success and fun is my best revenge. So I started traveling the world and my model and talent agency, I opened and became very successful. Within six months, I won the International Award for Model and Talent School of the Year and loved my models in Erie. We had so much fun. We go out dancing at clubs and we do community events to give back to the community. And it really grew to be quite successful. So I had that for 10 years. And one of my favorite things was really doing the coaching and motivational work for all my models and actors so they could make it and also heal any traumas that they had. And I said, you know, I want to go back to school for my master's in counseling. So that's what I did later in life. And what did the journey look like from you from being in that toxic relationship to realizing you deserve better? Was that something you always kind of knew? Like, how did you start to get into this work of like, we deserve that love? Well, remember, I witnessed and experienced my best friend killed through a domestic violence incident. So when my husband became emotionally, financially abusive, I said, hell no, I'm out. So I left with nothing but prayers to make my business successful. Uh, He did some really bad business moves. So at 26, we had a bankruptcy uh, for three quarters of a million dollars. It was so ironic because it was a chocolate factory that we opened in Philadelphia and four locations, stores. And he signed a deal behind my back for 17 mall locations where chocolates don't sell all year round. But my end was marketing and public relations. I had us all over the television. I opened up a chocolate museum with a history of chocolate. I had bus tours coming. I did custom chocolates for the Philadelphia Flyers, Meritor Financial, Boeing, Sibagaygi. So me, the part-time mom with two kids now, my girls are a year apart was making incredible money, but what he did could not, that money coming in could not support the deal that he did behind my back. So that for me was the last straw. I certainly did not want to break up my family. You know, my dream was to have a great family system the rest of my life, but how much do you put up with? And so I had to handle the entire bankruptcy because he was quote, too depressed to do it. So I've been a survivor. I've been a fighter, but my spirituality has gotten me through any hard time. And this is also part of the philosophy I taught my talent. Like, you know, you're not supposed to get every job you audition for. So if you don't get that one, your time and space is open to receive the next gig that you might audition for. So mindset is super important for anyone who's a celebrity, actor, singer, dancer, or anything you do in life. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur for yourself, you can't open the door and expect to be successful on day one. It's a journey and you have to take a lot of pride and be gentle with yourself during the journey. Be patient and enjoy every step of the way. 
And what practices did you do with your talent to help them realize that mindset piece? Like, was it continuous work with them? Was it like continuous workshops? Like, how were you able to help them get to that place? Yeah. I mean, I, I did all the education. I offered 40 lessons, 40 different classes as, at my talent center. I had a full Pennsylvania state licensed school at 26 years old. I opened a school. I didn't even know how hard it was. I was just like, this is what I got to do. Because the court says, as the mom, I had to pick up my kids from preschool at three o'clock every day. And I looked at the judge. I said, well, what nine to five job can I get to support myself and my kids? Because I don't know. You'll figure it out. <laughs> That's Erie PA for you. And so I did. I opened up the talent company and really I, I was teaching them through my lessons. Look, we can take the time and, and invest in pity and self-doubt or what I teach my coaching clients today uh, who are successful in business but struggle in love, we have to live in the light. We have to use our positive mindset to get over any hard times or difficult transitions. So those lessons I was teaching in my 20s, I'm teaching over 40 years later. And, you know, it it creates a lot of successes for people around the globe now. So I just love it. It is a process that I teach today. My life and love transformation coaching is either four to six months because I'm a certified clinical trauma professional. So all the work with trauma says it takes about six months of constant practice and techniques on how to cope with high anxiety or bouts of depression or constant challenges. Like when I have a toxic father of my kids, I just had to have the mindset. I can control what I do with my children and the lessons I teach them. I can't control with what he says or what he does. So I'm going to focus on what I can work on. And my girls are incredibly successful. They married very well. Great guys. I love my son-in-laws. And my youngest daughter, Alexi's in Inc. and Forbes magazine is the top 11 females changing the world. So, I mean, you if you know the mindset for success, I'm talking to all those parents out there, you want to teach your kids. And the book I wrote, Live Beyond Your Dreams, From Fear and Doubt to Personal Power, Purpose and Success, I was writing it while I was in an elementary school, working with kids kindergarten through sixth grade as a crisis counselor, the emotional counselor that handled all the bullying, the acting out, the kids from trauma. And so I wrote it at a 14-year-old level so that my students could get these concepts and learn them. And that's what I taught, you know, in the Miss Rihanna relaxation room when the kids were sent down to me because they were, quote, bad kids, unquote. I taught them to change their lives. So this can be absorbed by elementary school kids. So it's really important if you can give your kids this edge, the mindset for success, and no matter what you choose to do in life, whether it's talent or just being a business person, then you can succeed no matter what challenges come to you. And when you're working with someone who maybe feels like they don't deserve that type of relationship or they don't deserve love, how do you help them get back to a place where they feel like they do deserve it? Well, the research has showed eight out of 10 people have eight out of 10 negative thoughts. So most people have self-doubt. The mindset for success changes that completely. Like when my daughter said at 15, mom, I want to be a pop star, like every 15-year-old when they were watching Christine Aguilera and Britney Spears, I said, then let's do it. And she, by 18 years old, was singing on three multi-platinum CDs. So it's about believing in your dreams yourself. God helps those who help themselves. So doing the work that you need to do to align yourself to be there in that space, getting the education and the knowledge. 
It's it's an incredible philosophy. What was your original question, <laughs> Sophia? I went off the path a little bit there. It's okay. Helping people get back to a place where they feel like they actually deserve oh. love. Yeah, I'm sorry. So the negative thought thing. So the research also showed nine out of 10 people have childhood trauma. And that's what causes the doubts, the fears, the anxiety. And most people don't even realize they have it. Childhood trauma was nothing I learned in my triple masters at my university, unfortunately, because if we had this information years ago, I wouldn't have selected the marriage partners that I did. But you don't know this, right? We are told you fall in love through the fairy tales, you know, sleeping beauty, the handsome prince comes and kisses you, you have chemistry, you marry and you're happily ever after. Well, that's bullshit. Okay. It doesn't work like that. And unfortunately falling in love with chemistry or biochemistry is the worst way for partner selection. So educating you on what your childhood traumas are, how to heal them, what to, how to recognize traumas in others and how severe they are and if they're healed or not healed are all very important concepts. So that's why people feel they don't deserve success or love because the childhood traumas are there. They're active. So we have to heal that and get them beyond that. And how do you help people realize that they're stuck in that childhood trauma? Well, I can say do it right now with your audience There are the top 10 childhood traumas. I developed uh, what's called the childhood trauma checklist. And it's the top 10 traumas that show in research in my 21 years of being a psychotherapist and a certified life and relationship coach that they keep showing up and how they impact you in life, love and business. So would you like me to go Mm -hmm. into the top 10? Okay, here we go. For the listeners, I want you to make sure that you first know that this is not about blaming your parents at this time in life. Most parents do the best that they can. But if you had childhood trauma, remember, it goes through three generations. So they had childhood trauma and then their parents had childhood trauma. So until someone stops the generational pull, it's going to keep going through the generations. That's number one. Number two, we're not looking to have you feel ashamed or guilty that you have any of this. Remember, you're just a product of your environment. You are an innocent child. These are actually coping mechanisms that you developed that in adult life no longer serve you and especially in love relationships. Okay, so here we go. The first one is if your parents or caretaker had any addictions. So the addictions we're talking about, there's drugs, alcohol, sex, meaning you knew your parent was a chronic cheater, porn, gambling, hoarding, spending, eating, gaming, TV watching, workaholism, and recently I've added social media addiction, where the parents are always on their computers or phones and ignoring the child. Okay, so very important. Second is verbal abuse. Now, verbal abuse can be as witness with your parents yelling and screaming at each other or yelling at you or even not hearing the words I love you or any compliments like not hearing great job, kiddo, I'm proud of you. Or if your child shares a dream like Alexi did at age five, said, mom, I want to go help those kids in Africa, you know, the feed the children commercials and she's five years old. I'm there, babe. I know you can do this. That would be a beautiful goal. And at 20, she started putting water wells in Africa and she has 21 of them now at the age of 38. So, I mean, believing in yourself and telling your children their dreams aren't stupid. (laughs) This is all important. So there's verbal messages. If you heard put downs like, why don't you change your outfit, hon? You look fat in that. 
you know, or no, you don't need to go to college. I'm not going to waste my money on that. You know, it's telling your kids they're not worthy, right? Mm -hmm. So be very careful of your verbal messages. Number three is uh, emotional abuse or neglect. Number four, physical abuse. So any kind of beatings, rape, molestation, and those could have happened inside or outside of the home. So this child could have had a perfect home environment, but got bullied at school every day. Okay, so it's your childhood years of experience. Okay, next is abandonment. And this is a big one. There's either fault or no fault abandonment. So a no fault abandonment would be if a parent happened to die early, if the parent goes off to serve war. And believe me, those students that I had with parents serving were always like just emotionally checking out. They were worried, is my mom and dad going to come home from war? They're going to live. It's a very scary situation for a child. Okay, so that's the second one. And a third one be, it would be if your parents away from the home a lot, supporting the family on the road, traveling a lot. And this is one that I said, oh, I have this one. And I didn't think I had any trauma like most people before I did this research. I knew my partner did, but I didn't think I did. So I knew I had no verbal messages. I was not told I love you and I wasn't given compliments. I had that. And this one was my dad was away from home a lot, but we didn't know he was CIA and FBI. So like my dad was like James Bond and they can't tell their family. He's now since deceased, but before he died, we got letters from the president and the CIA thanking him for his many years of service. And there was an honorary lunch for him. So the thing is, you know, we didn't know, which left a lot of anxiety. Is my dad okay? And when is he coming home? See, but that's how he supported us. Okay, a fault would be never being in the child's life. Being in the child's life while the couple's together, they break up and then you rarely see your child or you tell them you're going to visit with them and you don't show up. Or you're even still in the home, but there's a lot of emotional abandonment. Like you don't support your kids by going to their sports or their art events or really having valuable communication. This would be like a father watching football all weekend while he has custody and the kids in his room on his computer the whole time. You know, I talk to those kids as a therapist. He goes, why do I even have to go there? I'm wasting my time. I'd rather be playing with my friends. He doesn't talk to me anyway. That's an emotional abuse. Okay. And emotional and abandonment as well. Okay. Next one, number six is if you were part of the foster care system, if you were adopted, or if you had to live in another person's home because your parents couldn't take care of you, that would be, it could be a grandparent. It could be an aunt or family friend, but it's still that feeling of being displaced. Okay. Trauma number seven is the one that most people can relate to. I knew I related to this one right away because I was bullied in my, my school as a young girl, but you could have been tall, skinny, and gawky, which I was, or called the nerd, or you could have been a chubby, overweight child or had a medical issue like asthma. So you can be on the sports team, you know, just feeling like you didn't fit in. You could have been an LGBTQ teen and afraid to come out, or you did come out, you were bullied for that, um, or an African-American child in an all-Caucasian school. Just that feeling of not fitting in or feeling good enough is huge. That's the one most people recognize. Okay. Trauma number eight is sibling trauma. Most commonly, this is you recognize your child as the uh, other sibling as being the golden child or the favored one. They might've been more athletic or more handsome or beautiful or the smarter child. Some reason you perceive that they were more favored than 
you know, you. Or your sibling could have been born with a medical issue that commanded more of mom's and dad's time. And the last one is your sibling bullied you. So those are sibling issues. Trauma number nine has two parts. The reason is in the later list, like I said, there's more than 10. When I was young, community trauma barely existed. Now I had to move it into the top 10, but I couldn't take anything else out. So I'm combining that with the other one, which is family trauma. So community trauma, everyone is experiencing this in our world with COVID. The COVID pandemic is affecting everyone. And look at our children. They can't go to school. They can't play with their friends. They're wearing masks. They don't know what's the matter. Is my parents going to die? Am I going to get sick and die? I mean, it's a scary, scary thing. So this is one trauma that's happening to all of us right now. And community traumas also are floods, fires, hurricanes, any mother nature disaster in our communities. It's also our school shootings or our mass shootings at happen. Okay. The family trauma could be a parent's incarcerated. You could have grown up in poverty or in a dangerous neighborhood, always remembering about lack. COVID related now to families, our families losing jobs, standing in food lines, worried if there's enough to eat or pay their bills, or if they're going to be evicted from their homes. Okay. So you can see how community affects family and family commit you know, affects community. It could be our military families that have to move every two to four years in the U.S., That means that child has to go to different schools all the time. So there's many under family trauma. Those are just a few examples. And trauma number 10 is mental health issues in mom or dad. And the two most difficult for a child to navigate around is bipolar and borderline. Borderline personality disorder, I describe it as fast trigger anger moodiness. You never know what you're going to get. When they're good, they're great. But when they're bad, they're really horrid. So you feel like you're walking on eggshells and these people explode at something with anger that nobody else would get upset at. So the keeps of the child very anxious. And the other one, bipolar is manic depressive. So a manic state could be a gambling spree, an eating binge, a spending spree, or it could be Yeah, that's some examples. And then the depression can show up as anger, emotionally checking out or extreme fatigue. So those are the top 10. And most people, research show, have at least one to three. Now we know everybody has one, which is COVID. So figure out the other ones that you might have. And then I do the severity level of one to 10, how severe were those happenings for you? So If you say, well, I remember two really bad beatings in my life. I said, well, how bad on a one to 10 scale would you rate that? You'd say maybe a three. It's like, okay, because you didn't have them all the time. But the child that gets hit by the alcoholic father every day when they come home from school or screamed at, that's a 10. So we have to look at the severity levels. Then from there, it's like a puzzle to me. I put together the puzzle pieces and work on them individually to heal that trauma. And I describe it like a rainbow. You're starting at the place you don't know what you don't know. People are like, why do I keep getting toxic partners? What's the matter with me? Well, now you know you have unhealed trauma and you know what traumas are. Now I described the top 10. So then we start on the learning curve of the rainbow, but you're going to slip and then you'll do better and then you'll slip. And people are like, well, do I have to have slippage? Every client of mine slips and the reason is, and then they they don't scare, get scared if it happens. It's because the unconscious is very hard to change, but it can be. It takes time and it takes practice. And eventually they're at that other side of the rainbow where there's a pot of gold 
and you have all these amazing skills that you will use the rest of your life. So like I said, in career, in business, and how you feel personally about yourself, no anxiety, no depression, vitamin therapy, we use meditation, we use all kinds of different techniques that you'll use the rest of your life. That's how it works. And when someone's so in love with someone, they can't really see what's going on. How would you recommend when someone's in that phase that they can start to identify if there is trauma in the partner they're in love with? Okay, so this is the infatuation stage, and we have something called the 90-day rule. Research shows that months four to nine, if there's toxic behavior, that's when it starts showing up, or if there's something serious that happens. So you get engaged, you move in together, you get married, or a child is born. If that trauma is unhealed, this is when it starts showing up in a bigger way. The romance stage, the 90-day stage, these relationships look stellar. This is when women say, oh my God, he's the perfect guy. You know, he writes me, he, well, uh, texts me, or he calls me all the time. He brings me flowers and gifts, and he gives me all this great attention. And then later, for months four to nine, it becomes controlling and jealous and trying to tell her what she can do or what she can wear. So these are signs that there's a lot of bad trauma that has not been healed in that partner. And if you stick around, let's say you break up because you see the signs, you consciously say, this guy's not good for me, but then you go back. These toxic relationships break up seven times on average. That's what the research shows. And that's due to love addiction and codependency. And those two traits come from abandonment issues. Also, usually verbal messages and trauma number seven, where you're not feeling worthy enough. So you're too afraid to try and go back and find someone else, you know, or you crave love so much because you didn't get it from your mom and dad that you think, well, it's not perfect, but at least I had love from this guy. You know, if he's jealous, he shows he loves me. No, it's showing you he's toxic. (laughs) Okay. So these are the things that you have to look for. People of trauma attract people of trauma. So once you're healed from this and you're really emotionally healthy and evolved, evolved means being your highest and your best self, you would never settle for anyone who's toxic. And as soon as you see the signs, which you can see usually in date one or two, you just stop dating them. So it never gets to that lust stage. You know, yes, there has to be attraction, but you're looking... My students look for a whole different quality of subsets before they would be even consider being intimate with someone. So, and this is where a lot of younger women make mistakes. They're using sex for love. If I have sex with him, he'll love me. Now he'll use you for sex and then he'll dump you. That's the standard. So we have to teach these women to have a better, higher self-esteem, knowing that sex is not the answer. Sex used to be called making love. And the reason is two partners really love each other and they're coming together in union of intimacy. Okay, so you don't want to just have sex to have sex. It's empty and it's depressing. And most women know that it's, it lowers their self-esteem. So um, you, you do learn to recognize who is toxic and who is not very early on once you have this information. For your clients, can you go into the subsets that they look at? Yes. Let's go into how it shows up. Okay. So lying and control, lying and manipulation. This would be, for example, 
let's use a woman, let's pick on women for a minute. Uh, women that, uh, let's say there's a little girl grew up with the alcoholic mother who was always angry and yelling and the oldest sister would be, okay, kids get up, they get them ready for school, fix their lunches, get them to the bus stop. So mom wouldn't yell at all of them. So this girl grows up to be a woman that's used to overdoing for everyone, the caretaker, the one in control. So this can show up when a couple comes to me and she says, nobody loves me like I love them. I do everything for my husband and my kids. They do nothing. And that's because her boundaries are so stretched because how she knew love comes to her by, is by doing, doing, and she's burnout and she's resentful. So that's how that can show up. Control shows up again, trauma number seven, by not feeling good enough about yourself. So you then try to control everybody else's life. You try, usually these are like men who are attracted to younger women who they can control and boss around. So they feel like the big guy, you know, the ego is more in control than really looking for a partner to have a quality relationship with. Perfectionism is big. You know, needing things to be perfect because if they weren't perfect, if you didn't do things right as a child, you might have gotten screamed at by your parents. So everything had to be just so. People that grew up with a very chaotic household tend to want a lot of control as an adult. Uh, in their relationships. Now, this can show up and be good in business that you've got everything under control and you're organized and orderly. But these are the types of clients I get successful in business, but struggle in love. They don't have the love piece right at all. And they're toxic in their love relationships themselves. And they attract toxic partners and they can't figure out why. And over and over again, when they say to themselves, they read 10 self-help books, it's like, okay, it's going to be different this time. Then they pick another toxic partner. It drives them crazy after a while. And it's like, what is this? And it's called relationship repetition syndrome, RRS. And by then, that's when I get those clients in my door. They say, oh my God, I got to stop this pattern. And you really don't know what to do because we weren't taught how to have emotionally healthy love, not by our parents, not in our schools, not in my master's program. We weren't taught that. Addictions, most addictions come from childhood trauma. Not all, like if you're an adult in a car accident and you're put on pain pills, you could then develop an addiction. But I'm starting the early addictions, early drinking, drugging at 13, 14 usually becomes spirals into the addiction. Anger and the way you process your communications, you scream instead of being able to talk calmly through an issue. Any yelling is never appropriate in a relationship, never. Only if someone's in harm's way. You say, watch out, you know, that is allowed. Other than that, there should never be yelling. So if there's a lot of yelling in your household, it's toxic. For the talent industry, there's a lot of imposter syndrome where they make it and then they self-sabotage. They don't think they're worthy of it or they blow all their money because they, they grew up poor and they made it. Now they just want things, you know, things become love because they didn't get real love from their moms or dads. So there's a whole bunch in the talent industry that are kind of specific to that. Blurting out, saying totally inappropriate things, blaming behavior. It's never, they never take responsibility. It's always someone else's fault. And ironically, if people say, well, what does that really look like in someone? Well, we happen to have a top political official in the USA that has drastic unhealed childhood trauma. And he does all of these things, blurting out, blaming, needing to be liked, never apologizing, never taking responsibility unless he's forced to. A womanizer, 
you know, looking for adulation from, you know, they might be married, but having affairs constantly. Those are someone with low self-esteem looking for adoration all the time. So there's a perfect poster child of unhealed childhood trauma. (laughs) But unfortunately, it is out there all over our society. And sociopaths, by the way, he is sociopathic. Uh, He now qualifies under that with the the recent events that have occurred. But sociopathy is using others for pleasure or profit or to raise your status in life. So he is showing signs of sociopathy at this point. And people with severe childhood trauma, they usually, uh, the, the worst is psychopathy. That's a sociopath and narcissist who kills Okay, sociopath is what I describe, someone who uses another for pleasure, profit, or status in life. Then the narcissist, there's wide range of narcissists, but the worst is malignant narcissist who uses their their title or image to manipulate others. So those are people that had childhood traumas that are in the range of nine to ten with many traumas, usually from eight to ten traumas. So you should watch the biography and pick out all the childhood traumas and you'll see where they had come from. How do you know that you're fully healed? Well, you know when you are on the other side of the rainbow, as I describe it, which we call evolved, you're consciously aware of everything, what you do, what you text, what you say, what you write. Uh, We're always thinking, is this for the good of all? And if in doubt, we go without, without doing it, writing it, saying it. We're very much, I talk about living in the dark or living in the light side of life. And we're always looking to live in the light side. That doesn't mean we don't get challenges. In Buddhism, we call living in our world, the earth school. We are here to learn many lessons. So when we look at it that way and we are challenged, Then we come up with plan A or plan B and plan C, and we meticulously go through, you know, what we feel are the best solutions to our problems. And they slowly work themselves out without us getting angry or upset or stressed out, which all are on the dark side. The dark side is also the uneducated side, the unevolved side, uh, the unconscious side. And I describe it like a tornado. So people that live in constant negativity and fears and the victim mode and everybody should feel sorry for me and they can't get unstuck, they're in the dark side. And when one thing happens that's bad that day, then they have a bad day with the kids and at work and it just spirals like a tornado. And it's a, it's a really bad place to be living. When you're in the light side, there's a lot of peace and joy and you love your work. It gives you purpose and your friends ha- and you have a very loving uh, relationship. You have a lot of loving friends and your family relationships are all loving and supportive. It's a great place to be. You would never go back to the other side where you once came from. So my people just continue to learn the skills and they may come to me for a love relationship issue, but it's amazing how evolved they come and how intelligent they become in all aspects of their life that they get job promotions. They start that new business. They always wanted to, they have the confidence and it seems to just come to them. And, you know, I talk about with them, the course of miracles, every choice is love or fear. So when they're always choosing love, then what they desire in life does come to them. Do you think it's possible to be in a relationship while you're still healing? 
or do you think you have to wait until you're fully healed before you enter a relationship? Yes. Uh, actually, right now I have a wonderful client. I'll call him Joe and he's married and his wife did not want to participate in coaching because she went to the couples therapist. Again, most therapists don't do this work because we weren't taught it. It's a very specialized field. So he's there, I'm signing up anyway. So either I fix myself or I fix this relationship or I fix myself and I leave it. But right now I'm looking at divorce and I can't stand how things are right now. So I said, let's get to work. And usually when one person changes, they can change the whole dynamic. If that other person is still too toxic and it doesn't change, then this person I worked with is so ready to move on. They're just like, okay, I don't need this. I'm ready because we know the world is abundant. There's lots of love out there. So we don't, we're not afraid to move forward if someone is too toxic for us. So, and I've, they're always invited into the sessions, by the way. So it's not like it, it's like a big secret. They're always invited in. So after the second session, she walks by and says, tell Rihanna that I really love what your coaching's doing for you. You're changing a lot already. So that was great, you know? So he just told me in a session last week, he goes, this was the best week of my life. I'm empowered. I'm working out again. He was like at the point of just staying on his couch, watching three hours of TV in the morning, and then he'd do a little work and he's very successful, but he has employees. So he wasn't dressing and going into the office And he was demanding her to make him happy. And it's like, no, you have to make yourself happy. And when you're happy, you attract others. You're pushing yourself and you are demanding sex with someone who's not attracted to you. You have to ask yourself, are you the same guy that when she met you? And he goes, oh my God, no, I'm not. I'm like a total slob. I'm like lazy. I'm this. And And that was the light bulb. He goes, no. I'm not who I was. I said, well, let's get you back. The best you, the better you. Because all that toxic stuff, that demanding, that control, that jealousy is going to be gone. And you're going to have so much self-love that, you know, either she's on board or there's going to be other people attracted to you. So he just said, I feel amazing. I can't believe how I was living in the dark before I met you. He goes, this program is worth everything I spent already. And he's only like on class seven out of 20. So they start seeing changes very early on. We do use vitamin therapy, meditation. I look at their diet. It's a holistic mind, body, spirit program. So like I said, the workbook's 150 pages and my books Live and Love Beyond Your Dreams are a part of it. And it's private and they have text access to me and email access. So it's like having a coach in your pocket intensely for six months. So it's, it's a phenomenal program. I don't know anybody else doing this type of work for trauma. And what does emotional, healthy relationship look like? Okay. Well, in part four of my book, Love Beyond Your Dreams, Break Free of Toxic Relationships to Have the Love You Deserve, is a whole section on what that looks like. And it's really important. It is the roadmap based on research of what the emotionally healthy relationship should be and consciously aware. So there's many things in there, but I'll go into a few things. One of them is for singles, when you're, you're out there dating, you have to love yourself first, right? Don't bring any negativity into your thoughts, into your mind. Be fun on your dates. Be open. Listen. Just approach it like you're meeting a new friend. Don't be all anxious about your dates. Just be 
chill, just be calm. Rid your life of any cheap drama. If you have cheap drama going on in your life, get rid of it before you date. Don't look for someone to rescue you, to solve your problems, to pay your bills. No, you have to have your life together 100% before you date. Then when you're out there, you're not going to attract toxic people because you would never stand for that in your life, right? Women must understand there is a five-second rule when you're going out to date. Men are, their caveman brain or their reptilian brain does notice attraction first. And women are like, oh, that's shallow. Well, it might be, but they were made to procreate the race. God made them that way. They can't help it. And men, you got to know that women are hardwired. Their cavewoman brain needs safety security. Why? Because they're the child bearers. So yes, we want to know what is your career? Are you successful? Are you financially secure? We don't want men that are struggling and in debt. Why would we? So get your life together first before you get out there dating. So important on both sides. Show up looking stylish and fit and with a great outfit on. This is your first impression. You know, if you look like a slob, then that's your best you can do. You know, that's going to be a turn off right away. Know the questions to ask. In my books, there's 24 questions you should be asking on your first date will help you identify childhood trauma. And then know you need to know equally the things you should never talk about on your first and second date. You know, don't talk about toxic ex-partners or money or sex. If someone's trying to talk sex with you on the first date, that's a one and done. You say, look, I don't, I don't know you. I'm not telling you about my sexual opinions on this first date. And then just never date them again. Okay. So that's for singles and for couples. What does the uh, emotionally healthy relationship look like? Again, there's a lot of topics mentioned in my book. I'll give you some. My couples live by the philosophy of it's you and me against the world. They put each other first, not even their kids first. Because so many parents put their kids first and run them around ragged. And they have no time for themselves or the relationship. The passion dies by the time the kids are out going to high school or college, these couples divorce. So you have to put yourself first to be a happy couple, to have a happy family. Super important. Then I talk a lot about balance triangles, you, me, and us. So your you time, your individual time needs to make you happy. So that could be reading, philosophy, self-help, spiritual books, meditation, your exercise time, your time at work. Uh, time with friends. Okay. And then they have their time the same. And then you equally have time for each other. Too many couples shortchange the couple time. You need to know what your top requirements are and never negotiate, never go beyond that. So if you're a woman 28 to 35, which I have a lot of those clients because there are women that say, I want to be married and have children. I actually have men that come in and say the same thing, and I can't find a quality partner. Well, on your first date or on the phone, before you even go on the first date, you say, are you someone that wants marriage and children in your life? If they say, well, yeah, marriage, kids, maybe if she does, that's a no. I mean, when my daughter asks that question to her husband, he goes, absolutely. I wouldn't see my life fulfilled if I didn't have kids. And she's married and they have two boys, (laughs) you know, so it has to be a solid yes. Anything else is a no and you don't date them again. I don't, we don't care what the chemistry is. He's not the right person for you. Okay. So that's a requirement. Like one of my requirements must not have any addiction and you can even be addicted to the gym in there seven days a week, three hours a day. No, thanks. 
right? So no addiction, no obsessions have balance in life. So you have to know what your personal ones are. And then they can be somewhat silly too, but I happen to love music and dancing. I always will. So I need a partner that loves to dance. Okay. So something like that could be one of your requirements. Uh, you might be a pet owner. You love dogs. And one of my clients says, number one, he must love dogs. If he doesn't love dogs, because he's a gay male, if he doesn't love dogs, he's not for me. I'm like, perfect. Okay. It's one of your requirements. So, you know, we, we define what they are and then you know exactly what you're looking for when you're out there. They have to match your emotional and functional needs. Functional needs would be uh, they're a great co-parent. They agree that it's a partnership in parenting. The woman doesn't do everything. That emotionally, how affectionate are they? If you're someone likes PDA, and then you want someone that likes that too and is comfortable with that. Uh, what do you do for mutual enjoyment? You have to have enough hobbies and activities that you both love so that you have fun in life. And do you share the same vision for your future? If you're someone that like me that wants to live on the water in Florida, you know, I don't want to be on a ranch in Montana. It's not going to work for me. It's not going to make me happy. If you could be the greatest guy, but that's not for me. You see, so you, you have to know where you are and what you want to be solid about it. And then you're not wasting your time with just dating the next cute guy. It's not about cute. It's about everything else. And what are some like first date ideas that you recommend? It's always good to talk you know, it really depends on the area that you live in, really. You know, I like a cocktail. I don't do coffee dates. I will not get dressed and take my time off in my business day to go for coffee. Hell no. I'm going to meet you. We're going to do at least appetizers and a drink. Usually I have found when I was dating, that usually leads on, let's have dinner. You know, we meet for a drink and let's have dinner. And then you have a longer conversation if you want to stay. If you don't, you don't agree to dinner. Or you have a, a bite to eat. You have an appetizer. You could do an afternoon date if it's a sunny day and there's a band playing down by the water. That's a great date. I would say don't do a movie date because you're just sitting there in quiet. It feels a little awkward. You don't even know the person you're sitting next to. So, you know, drinks and, you know, if you, you happen to be a coffee shop person, then meet in a coffee shop. That's cool if that's something you're into. I happen to love street fairs and car shows. So any events like that, concerts in Delray Beach, we have weekly concerts in the park. So I would say let's meet for drinks and go to the concert, you know, something like that. So it really depends where you live and what activities are available to you, but something where you can have a good conversation. And what's something that you're excited about right now? Everything, life. <laughs> I don't know. My, my daughters are so amazing. They're families. I just did family visits over the holidays, you know, seeing my grandchildren growing up. I'm so blessed in all areas of my life. I love my work. Seeing my clients go through their transformation. I know this is my God-given gift. I am like so blessed that they open their hearts and lives to me and trust me to do their transformation. It just, I, I just to love your work, you love what you do every day. And uh, right now I'm doing a lot of uh, health balance for myself. I'm getting a little older and in my 60s. So I'm taking more time for beach time when it's a sunny day and doing vitamin IV drips and my massage on a regular basis. So um, really doing a little bit more self-care. And I'm excited about that process because it's been three really long years of uh, getting out there globally. I mean, I've been a psychotherapist in private practice for 
14 years in New Jersey and another two to three years in Delray. And then after our Hurricane Irma here, I said, you know what? I'm going to close the office and go global, go home where I can eat decent food instead of fast food and have uh, regular hours, a more humane situation, go to the pool in the afternoon, walk my neighborhood to get out and exercise. So I'm always striving for life balance, but still serve. So I'm just excited about everything. I am concerned about what's going on in the USA today, you know, with these rebels. Um, It's so sad that my grandchildren are growing up in this time of COVID and all this unrest. That has me concerned. But the best we can do is have self-love, love for our family, love for our friends, and still have gratitude every day for all the things we do have in our life. And we have to remember to practice gratitude every day. And if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give her? You did great, kiddo. (laughs) Honestly, we can't control what others do. Uh, If anything, I would not marry it so young. I married at 21, but that's what my generation did. We married our college sweetheart. I really wish I knew all about childhood trauma because once you know this, the younger you have it, the better off you are in life. Yeah, I would not have selected the first partner that I had or other partners after that, that I didn't have when I didn't have this information. Now I totally select my partners in a whole different way. And it's, it's so much better. It's so much healthier. But, you know, everything, with every difficulty comes a lesson. So the first marriage brought my children. And there is such a blessing to me. So how can you change that? You can't change that, you know? So it's all right. You get through the tough times. They teach you solid lessons that you can turn around and teach others. The way I look at it, I took my pain and made it my passion and my purpose. So it's all good. Thank you so much for doing this. (laughs) You're welcome. welcome. Where can people connect with you online? The best place to start is my website. It's rihannamilne.com. And I have tons of free resources for you there. The free ebook, How to Have the Love You Deserve and Why Nine Out of Ten People Struggle in Life and Love is there. Uh, It tells you this and more. Um, then my books live in love beyond your dreams. Uh, there's the first 60 pages are free under books and also the four free love tests, which are for there for singles and couples do all four, see where you are. You're going to learn a ton between those free resources. And then my podcast is called lessons in life and love with coach Rihanna Milne. And that's free on every podcast platform. Um, Also on iTunes and my YouTube channel, I have that podcast existing as well as a total of like 250 videos. So you'll learn a lot. And if you need me, um, my life and love transformation session, when you're listening to this podcast, just go to my website, homepage. And for $47, you can meet with me privately for one hour. I'm going to do a whole diagnosis of your traumas and tell you what's going on in your life today for 47 bucks. That's like two drinks in Manhattan. So it's a deal. It's normally $500. So do take advantage of that. And I'd be really happy to meet with you and get you started on your journey to create the life you desire and to have the love that you definitely deserve. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.